For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. It's my uh, great pleasure to introduce Gary Griffin, our longtime Ancient Dragon Sangha member, and currently swimming in the role of Eno, the delight of the assembly who cares for and protects our meditation hall. And please say anything else you want about yourself and the Dharma. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you for that lovely introduction and for the opportunity to give this talk. This has been a hard year for me personally. And Everything seems just harder to me. And then I look around and there's COVID and coming out of COVID or not coming out of COVID and January 6th and suppression of voting rights and climate change and refugees all over the world. And it gets overwhelming. And I realize we need, we need to remind ourselves of what's beautiful in the world and to remind ourselves that life is really still amazing and full of surprises, every ordinary day life. So what I wanted to do today, I picked up this book by Mary Oliver called Devotions, and it's a collection of her poems over her career. So I want to read you her poems today, because she is she is very much in love with life, and it is infectious. When you read her poetry, you, you cannot help but be in love with life. Um. She, this book covers her co-career. She started writing poems when she was 28. She's won a Pulitzer Prize for her volume on American Primitive. So I'm just going to dive in. There are Every one of these is wonderful. But I picked some out to talk about and to just think about and to lift all our spirits. And this first one is called Backyard. It goes like this. I had no time to haul out the dead stuff, so it hung, limp or dry, when it, wherever the wind swung it, over or down or across. All summer it stayed that way, untrimmed and thickened. The paths grew damp and uncomfortable and mossy until nobody could get through but a mouse or a shadow. Blackberries, ferns, leaves, litter, totally without direction, management, supervision. The birds loved it. This reminded me of my sister's yard. Her yard is a mess. She's got bamboo growing, and she built this pond in the middle of it herself, and her bushes. But you go there, and it's wonderful. I mean, it's just, everything just gets to grow where it wants to grow, and she seems very happy with it. This next one is my all-time favorite. It's two lines long. It goes like this. It's called, We Shake with Joy. We shake with joy. We shake with grief. What a time they have, these two, housed as they are in the same body. And I really like this because 
you know, we talk so much in Zen, and I know in my own Zen practice, I think, you know, we just want to accept the parts of ourselves we'd rather not know. We say, you know, if you're sitting and your knees hurt or your back hurts, lean into the pain. And this two lines just makes it seem so simple. It's not about the effort we make. It's about just accepting what we really are. Accepting all the bits, the good, the bad, the wonderful. I'll read it again. We shake with joy. We shake with grief. What a time they have, these two, housed as they are in the same body. This next one I picked out is called Blue Iris. Now that I'm free to be myself, who am I? Can't fly, can't run, and see how slowly I walk? Well, I think I can read books. What's that you're doing? The green-headed fly shouts as it buzzes past. I close the book. Well, I can write down words like these softly. What's that you're doing? Whispered the wind, pausing in a heap just outside the window. Give me a little time, I say. I say back to its staring, its staring silver face. It doesn't happen all of a sudden, you know. Doesn't it? Says the wind. And breaks open, releasing distillation of blue iris. And my heart panics not to be, as I long to be, the empty, waiting, pure, speechless receptacle. This one makes me think of the talk that Mugetsu gave yesterday on the blue diamond and emptiness. And there is a longing we have to have for this emptiness. Because, of, because we want to be in the reality we know to be true. And yet there's a fear, you know, that we don't want to give up our smaller selves or the things we think we can control or our own desires and longings. So it's a, it's, it's a sort of a mixed bag. This next one is from a collection called The White Pine. And it's called The Toad. Toad. I was walking by. He was sitting there. It was full morning, so the heat was heavy on his sand-colored bed and his webbed feet. I squatted beside him at the edge of the path. He didn't move. I began to talk. I talked about summer and about time and the pleasures of eating, the terrors of the night, about this cup we call life, about happiness, and how good it feels, the heat of the sun between the shoulder blades. He looked neither up nor down, which didn't necessarily mean he was either afraid or asleep. I felt his energy stored under his tongue, perhaps, and behind his bulging eyes. I talked about how the world seems to me, five feet tall, sky, blue sky all around my head. I said, I wonder how it seemed to him down there, the dust. He might have been Buddha, did not move, blink, or frown, 
Not a tear fell from those gold-rimmed eyes as the refined anguish of language passed over him. This one is called Almost a Conversation. I have not really, not yet, talked with Otter about his life. He has so many teeth, he has trouble with vowels. Wherefore, understanding is all body expression. He swims like the sleekest fish. He dives and exhales and lifts a tail of bubbles. Little by little, he trusts my eyes and my curious body sitting on the door. Sometimes he comes close. I admire his whiskers and his dark furs, which I would rather dodge than wear. He has no words. Still, what he tells about his life is clear. He does not own a computer. He imagines the river will last forever. He does not envy the dry house I live in. He does not wonder who or what it is that I worship. He wonders, morning after morning, that the river is so cold and fresh and alive, and still I don't jump in. I like these two. We think, you know, it, it's all of these living creatures in the world just see the whole world differently. Dogs and cats and otters, they have... They hear at different register levels. They see different color patterns. And it's just such a wonderful thing to think that the whole one's being experienced in so many different ways than the way we see it. And even as humans, we have different ability to hear, different ability to see. Some people are colorblind. My first Zen teacher had superhero hearing. He could sit up on the third floor of this old building and he could hear a toilet running in the basement. And he'd say, go down and check this And sure enough, the toilet would be running. And they'd think, did you hear that? Three floors up. It was amazing. This next one is called The Old Poets of China. Wherever I am, the world comes after me. It offers me its busyness. It does not believe that I do not want it. Now I understand why the old poets of China went so far and high into the mountains, then crept into the pale mist. This reminds me of where Dogen lives. And it reminds me of why I like to go to Sashin every now and then. I'm going to read this one again. Wherever I am, the world comes after me. It offers me its busyness. It does not believe that I do not want it. Now I understand while the old poets of China went so far and high into the mountains and crept into the paleness. This next one is called Lead. Here is a story to break your heart. Are you willing? This winter, the wounds came to our harbor and died 
one by one, of nothing we could see. A friend told me of one on the shore that lifted its head and opened the elegant beak and cried out in the long, sweet savoring of its life, which if you have heard it, you know it is a sacred thing, and for which if you have not heard it, you had better hurry to where they still sing. And believe me, tell no one just where that is. The next morning, this little speckled and iridescent with a plan to fly home to some hidden lake was dead on the shore. I tell you this to break your heart, by which I mean only that it break open and never close again to the rest of the world. This next one's called Arrowhead. The arrowhead, which I found beside the river, was glittering and pointed. I picked it up and said, now it's mine. I thought of showing it to friends. I thought, of, I, I thought of putting it, such an imposing trinket, in a little box on my desk. Halfway home, past the cut fields, the old ghost stood under the hickories. I would rather drink the wind, he said. I would rather eat mud and die than steal as you still steal, than lie as you still lie. This next one is called Can You Imagine? For example, what the trees do, not only in the lightning storms or the watery dark of a summer night or under the white nets of winter, but now, and now, and now, whenever you're not looking, surely you can't imagine they just stand there looking the way they look when you're looking. Surely you can't imagine they don't dance from the root up, wishing to travel a little, not cramped so much as wanting a better view or more sun or just as avidly more shade. Surely you can't imagine they just stand there loving every minute of, the, of it, the birds or the emptiness, the dark rings of the years slowly and without a sound thickening, and nothing different unless the wind, and then only in its own mood, comes to visit. Surely you can't imagine patience and happiness like that. This one's called Softest of Mornings. Softest of Mornings, hello. And what will you do today, I wonder, to my heart? And how much honey can the heart stand, I wonder, before it must break? This is trivial or nothing. A snail climbing a trellis of leaves and the blue trumpets of its flowers. No doubt clocks are kicking, ticking loudly all over the world. I don't hear them. The snail's pale horns extend and wave this way and that as her finger body shuffles forward, leaving behind the sil silvery path of her slime. 
Oh, softest of mornings, how shall I break this? How shall I move away from the snail and the flowers? How shall I go on with my introspective and ambitious life? This one's called self-portrait. I wish I was 20 and in love with life and still full of beings. Onward, old legs. There are the long, pale dunes on the other side. The roses are blooming and finding their labor. No adversity for the spirit. Upward, old legs. These, there are the roses and there is the sea shining like a song like a body I want to touch. Though I'm not 20, and I won't be again, but I'm uh, 70, and still in love with life, and still full of meanings. This next one is called Blueberries. I'm living in a warm place now where you can purchase fresh blueberries all year long, labor-free, from various corners of South America. They're as sweet as any, and compared with the berries I used to pick in the fields outside of Provincetown, they're enormous. But berries are berries. They don't speak any language I can't understand. Neither do I find ticks or small spiders crawling among them. So generally speaking, I'm satisfied. There are limits, however. What they don't have is the field. The field they belong to, and through the years, I began to feel I belong to. Well, there's life, and then there's later. Maybe it's myself that I miss. The field and the sparrow singing at the edge of the woods and the doe that one morning came upon me unaware, all tense and gorgeous. She stamped her hoof as you would to any intruders, and gave me a long look as if to say, okay, you stay in your patch, I'll stay in mine. Which is just what we did. Try packing that up South America. This reminds me of, I used to work in this office, and in the back behind the office there was a an open field with some trees and a walking path. And one time at noon, I was out walking the path, and I saw my colleague with a little plastic, one of those little plastic bags and jewel, picking something. And I went over and I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm picking wild grapes. She said it like she got caught with a hand in a cookie jar. And I remember thinking, wow, I was so impressed. I don't think I would recognize a wild grape and have enough sense to pick it. And... Two or three days later, I went into the office, and on my desk was a little jar of homemade grape jelly. I don't remember this woman's name. We were just colleagues. We worked for a while. We used to make audio tapes for kids who were blind so they could read books that they couldn't hear. But that story has always stayed with me. And I think of it as like a little, you know when you take a car trip and you take snacks with you? This is like a little, I don't know, spirit snack. I think, you know, we should collect these little snacks and put them in a bag. And so when things get too hard, 
or too overwhelming, we can pull them out and we can remember all the little wonderful things that happened and all the really wonderful, kind things that people did for us for no good reason whatsoever. And it, just to refresh our spirits and, and bring us back to this really understanding about how wonderful, for all its misery, that life really is. There's a couple more I want to read. One is called Rice. And some of this I don't really understand the reference, but I like it. Still in the black mud, it grew under the tiger's orange paws, its stems thinner than candles, and it's straight, its leaves like the feather of egrets, but green, and the grains crusty, wanting to burst, though blood of the tiger. I don't want you to just sit down at the table. I don't want you to just eat and be content. I want you to walk out into the fields where the water is shiny and the rice has risen. I want you to stand there far from the white tablecloth. I want you to fill your hands with mud like a blessing. This reminds me of the meal chant we say at Shashin's or whenever we have a, a formal meal together, we reflect on the effort that brought us here and this food, brought us this food and consider how it comes to us. When I first started in Zen, I don't know, in the 90s, and I went to my first Shashin and I read those, I have to admit, I never really thought about those my food comes from. I never thought about all the work that went into it and all the people who worked for it. I just went to the grocery store and bought And somehow... To reflect on that, about all the work that goes into it, the farmers that grow it, the people who ship it, the people who package it, and all we do is show up and buy it. It's just, I know, it's like a little miracle. There's one more that's kind of long, but I'd like to read it anyway. And maybe I don't know what the time is like. John, could you move the clock over here? But I'll read this one. This is called To Begin With the Sweet Grass. Will the hungry ox stand in the field and not eat of the sweet grass? Will the owl bite off its own wings? Will the lark forget to lift its body in the air or forget to sing? Will the rivers run upstream? Behold. I say, behold, the reliability and the finery and the teachings of this gritty earth gift. Eat bread and understand comfort. Drink water and understand delight. Visit the garden where the scarlet trumpets are opening their bodies for the hummingbirds, who are drinking the sweetness, who are thrillingly gluttonous. For one thing leads to another. Soon you will notice how stones shine underfoot. Eventually, tides will be the only calendar you believe in. And someone's face, whom you love, will be as a star, both intimate and ultimate. And you will both heart, and you will be both heart shaken and respectful. And you will bear, and you will hear the air itself like a beloved whisper, Oh, let me for a while longer enter the two beautiful bodies of your lungs. 
The witchery of living is my whole conversation with you, my darlings. All I can tell you is what I know. Look and look again. The world is not just a little thrill for the eyes. It's more than bones. It's more than the delicate wrist with a personal pulse. It's more than the beating of a single heart. It's praising. It's giving until the giving feels like receiving. You have a life, just imagine it. You have this day and maybe another and maybe still another. Someday, I'm going to ask my friend Paulus, the dancer, the potter, to make me a begging bowl, which I believe my soul needs. And if I come to you, to the door of your comfortable house, with unwashed clothes and unclean fingernails, will you put something in it? I would like to take this chance. I would like to give you this chance. We do one thing or another, we stay the same, or we change. Congratulations if you've changed. Let me ask you this. Do you also think that beauty exists for some fabulous reason? And if you have not been enchanted by this adventure, your life, what would do for you? What I loved in the beginning, I think, was mostly myself. Never mind that I had to since somebody had to. That was many years ago. Since then, I have gone out from my confinement, though with difficulty. I mean the ones that thought to rule my heart. I cast them out. I put them on the mush pile. They will be nourishment somehow. Everything is nourishment somehow or other. And I have become the child of the crowd and the folk. I have become the friend of the enemy, whoever that is. I have become older cherishing what I have learned, and I have become younger. And what I do, and what do I risk to tell you this, which is all I know? Love yourself, then forget it. Then love the world. So those are the poems of Mary Oliver. I was hoping to cheer everybody up, including myself. And I was hoping we could have a discussion maybe on something you liked in the poem or about the things in your life that bolster you up, that help you get back up and face the sorrow of the world, things that amaze you in your life or bring you joy. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Jerry. But I bring forth your drama for Jerry. Mary Oliver is such a Zen poet, right? I think she also like lives in Delray Beach, Florida, near where I grew up now. <laughs> so maybe that's where they get all the South American berries. So uh, I've noticed that there aren't very many butterflies in my garden this year. And Although I could be sad about it, I'm just happy that I can notice it, <laughs> you know, and that uh, hoping they'll come back. 
I've seen one swallowtail and one monarch and some cabbage whites, and that's been about it. But still, I enjoy the tree outside my door, the cicadas, so the roar. So every day is a good day. <laughs> a friend of mine has some plants in her garden that specifically attract butterflies. Yeah, I do too. And she really likes them. And the, over at Mindfield's Harbor, next to the bird sanctuary, they now have a butterfly swim. Mm-hmm. They check it out and see if they're hiding there, and they don't like my special milkweed and lavender. Terry, thank you so much for, uh, so I love that expression. Thank you for those spiritual snacks. Um, <laughs> I love that. I feel like, you know, I've got a, I've got a lunch pail full of them now. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> um, there's a kindness in those poems and in the way that, that you read them. Uh, you know, you and I were talking about uh, some images of, of, uh, of Guan Yin that we saw at the museum, and we were talking about how her grandmotherly kindness is is very unsentimental, you know, and might you know might just you know help you by by getting you where you need to be. And and I, and I feel that energy in those poems. So you invited us to share things that that are beautiful or amazing. So um, I'm teaching right now. I'm teaching this summer course on happiness that I've taught many times now, both in China and in here. I've got seven American students. Well, one is from China, and so we're studying utilitarianism and the greater good and happiness and all this stuff. And this morning, Monday morning, I'm obnoxious on Monday mornings because I like Monday mornings, but most, most people are tired. And so two of my students didn't make it, you know, and the other students were like texting, calling, calling the dorm, finding where they both were, making sure that they were getting to class. And it was so beautiful, you know, and then we were reading these rather silly philosophical paradoxes about would you shoot one person to kill, you know, would you shoot one person to save 19 others? You know, and I said, that's not the point. Those are silly. The, you know, the, the, the point is that, that, that for whatever reason, it's mysterious, you know, um, these young people, like all, like all people, you know, want to want to do kind things for each other and want to help and protect each other. And it's not that it's, it's just so simple. It's so simple to be kind. That's, that's the energy that I feel in, in those poems. And I feel it from you and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. I feel that from her poems too. You know, the one about the arrowhead and the one about the wounds dying. Even when she's reprimanding, done with such kindness. <laughs> That it's easy to take it in, and it's easy to say, "Yeah, okay, yeah, I did yeah. this wrong," yeah. or "Okay, I could do better here." It's, it's and and that's what I like about her poetry is it's infectious. I mean, you, you can't read it and 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 and, and walk away troubled. <laughs> it just, it just yeah. Mike and I just got back from northern Wisconsin. And the, the small lake that we were on had a pair of loons with two babies. So perhaps descendants of the ones that, that died down in Florida. Um, but they, they go up north to spawn everywhere. So that was a joy. Yeah, and the one about the backyard, I think it's so funny. She was always embarrassed to have people over to her yard because she thought it was too wild. 
and she's a member of she goes to she retired now, but she takes classes at Louisville University and she's a member of this Donovan Club for older seniors going up to school. And so she goes to a friend, this other woman's yard for a barbecue or an outing, and she comes home and she says, her yard was a mess. She said, and not only was she wasn't embarrassed, but she said, you know, the longer I sat in it, the more I liked it. And I thought, and she came home with a whole different understanding about what her yard was all about. And a much more appreciation for just letting things grow where they want to grow and not being, not having it be like picture perfect where all the flowers stand up straight and all the weeds are banished. Um, I was going to follow up on your um, talking about butterflies. Um, Wade and I just moved into a house which has a lot of plants that attract butterflies, which is a joy into it in itself. Um, we bought some pots for herbs and veggies, one of which was, well, two of which were dill and fennel, mm. um, which is very exciting because I'd not grown them before. Um, about two or three weeks in, we noticed that the butterflies had laid eggs on all of them, which meant that the dill and fennel would not be usable. Uh, and it gave me great joy, because it, it was nature kind of coming in and uh, being nature. <laughs> um, so, um, and a few times we got to see uh, some caterpillars on the fennel, which oh. is a sheer delight. Um, uh, yeah, it, it made me happy. That's too. what the swallowtails like? Yeah. yeah. That, the, yeah. the fennel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very joyous thing to see the process of that happen. Yeah, I wanted to comment on the wildness versus like caring for things. And I think there's something about, you know, like a garden that's quote wild. It's wild, but it's also cared for. And there's something about wild things that are cared for that I find to be a very beautiful practice. Not interfering too much, you know. We do this in our zendo. We get a little wild, but it needs a little trimming on occasion. But it's also beautiful because it's territory, but it also can have a wild nature. Yeah, I often think of this as the difference between if you go up north of Chicago to botanical gardens. Mm-hmm. That garden is always really cultivated. It's beautiful. The flowers are all perfect. The weeds are all gone. But then you go down to someplace like Garfield Park, and it's cared for, and it's lovely. But I don't know. In my head, I always think of the botanical gardens as the military for plants. <laughs> They're all just perfect. <laughs> and somehow Garfield Park is like, okay, flowers, come on in, live, here we are. We'll take care of you. As someone who used to work at the botanic gardens, I believe that that's a, a accurate <laughs> direction. <laughs> These standards are exacting. Um, and it produces beautiful gardens. It doesn't leave a lot of room for spontaneity, surprises, mm-hmm. but the gardens are very beautiful. Yeah, we're lucky to live in a city that has so much available to us in terms of, of gardens and nature and the bird sanctuary and the butterfly and the lakefront and the great parks. And we're, we're pretty lucky to be with it. Have it all available to us for free but to show up. And-
struggle with. We maybe have time for one more comment if anyone on Zoom or here in the Zendo would like. Uh, you invited um, us to reflect on little everyday things that bolster us up. You know, just thinking really hard about it. I think I think mine would be uh, mornings in general. Mornings, I really like mornings. Uh, I I love like uh, I, I like waking up early. I like waking up early and. Um, and just feeling like all of the possibility that the day could be, you know, that it's all fresh and it's all and like, who knows what could happen. You know, uh, there's all this possibility for it. And, uh, and, you know, the, the, the couple the intimacy of like the other morning folks, like if you go down to the coffee shop and there's the other folks that get up for a reason or no reason at 6am, you know? Um, and uh, I especially love um, riding a bike down to work uh, when I have a really early shift. So if I have to be there at like 5.30 or 6 a.m. and I leave the house when it's dark and then on the bike you watch the sun come up and you watch and then when you start riding there's like nobody and then once you, you know, after about half an hour it's like there's some yawns and some, you know, you, you just see things kind of start to wake up a little bit. Um, and so just watching watching the sun come up uh, and like uh, and just being being excited for whatever the day could do the day could do anything you know? um, I just always get a kick out of that I, always, I, always love that. Yeah. I like the mornings too my the whole family are they, did you want to like well I something you also remind me of like a line from Maya Angelou who said what a beautiful day this is. I've never seen it before. <laughs>